If you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 96. It's found on page 591. 591. Psalm 96. Hear God's word. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Have you ever gone to a play in a big city? From the smell of the theater to the comfortable seats to the gaudy decor to the chandeliers, really is quite an experience. I know when Arla and I lived in uh, Hammond, Indiana, um, we were right next to Chicago, and so at least once a year we would try to go see a play or something like that. Went to an opera once, once, we'll not not do that again. But plays, I I like. And uh, it's kind of interesting when you go to something like this. Um, You get there a half hour early, 20 minutes, whatever, and the anticipation starts to grow. And uh, at first it's quiet, but as more and more people come, the the murmur seems to to rise in the theater, and all of a sudden the lights flicker, and you know it's going to start soon. And the orchestra starts to play, and it seems like those last couple minutes, right before the play begins, those are the longest. You sit there in eagerness, waiting for it to begin. Or you're at a Packers game. And as you stand on that sacred ground, Lauren, is that too strong? Okay, maybe that's too strong. And you see the teams beginning to warm up. So your anticipation begins to grow. But what really signals that, that a, a football game is about to start? Well, the warm-up, sure, but even more than that, what really signals that it's about to begin is the national anthem, Right? And as you hear those words, or the land of the brave and the home of the free, what normally happens in the stadium? Ah! It erupts, right? Everyone's yelling and crying out and clapping their hands. Why? Partly because of our nation and and singing that song, but I think another reason is because the game is about to start. Maybe part of the rejoicing is that you don't have to watch a Lions game, but I don't know. I'm not going to go there, but still... (laughs) Sorry. But you rejoice that the game is about to begin. Is that how it is 
when you sit in, the, in this sanctuary and you wait for the worship service to begin? Does it fill you with that kind of anticipation, that kind of excitement, that kind of joy? Why? Because you're about to come into the presence of God, right? That's no little thing. That's bigger than a play. That's bigger than going to a football game. That's the most incredible thing that you could do is come into the presence of God and worship him. As you come into his presence, though, are you filled with that anticipation? Are you filled with that excitement? Or do you come sometimes just because you have to? Because that's what's expected of you. There's a story told of a tourist in Washington, D.C., who telephoned the minister of the church where President Franklin Roosevelt often worshipped. The minister said, well, the the tourist said um, he wanted to know if the president was going to be there for the worship service. And the minister replied to him, that I don't know. But I can tell you that we are expecting God to be here, and we hope his presence will attract a sizable crowd. All about perspective, isn't it? Why do we come to worship? Why do we go to church? Is it to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of life, the one who holds eternity in the the palm of his hands? Our God is so holy, the angels in Isaiah's vision, they can't even look at at the Lord. They cover their eyes because of his holiness, because of his glory. Our God is so beautiful and majestic. The book of Revelation, it uses all kinds of images and and, and words, and yet it can't really find the description. It can't really find a way to describe who God is, to describe his beauty, his majesty, how wonderful he is. Yet this is the very God that calls us to know him, to delight in him, and to worship him. I'm sure there was many joyful moments in, in David's life, but based on the psalms he's written, the narratives about his life, I, I think it appears clearly that, that the, the Ark of the Covenant coming back to Jerusalem from the house of Obed-Edom, it must have been one of his highlights. Imagine the procession as thousands of people were assembled. That's a huge crowd led by hundreds of priests clothed in white linen. There were choirs, there was an orchestra. And when the priests set out with the ark, their advancing steps were heralded by the sounds of ram's horns, of the shafar, clash of cymbals, and the happy plucking of myriads of harps and lyres. Boy, there's an instrument you don't hear in a parade very often, a harp. David was so delighted that God's presence was coming to Jerusalem, that he threw decorum aside and he started to dance in the streets in worship of God. He also composed a psalm for the occasion. And you can read the entire psalm in 1, Corinthians, or 1 Chronicles 16. That's the entire psalm. But later on, that psalm was broken up into pieces, and part of that psalm is what we find here this morning, Psalm 96. Traditionally, Psalm 96 is called the missionary psalm because David invites the world, all people, to come and worship God. But the psalm is also a call for all of creation to delight themselves in the Lord and worship him. 
Now, depending on where you go to church, you're going to find a difference in worship styles. Whether you're Pentecostal or Episcopalian or Catholic or Baptist or Christian Reform or Presbyterian, whatever it might be, there's a difference in in the way we worship. And it's not necessarily right or wrong. It's what we're comfortable with. It's how we feel led by the Spirit. We also see a difference in our opinion of worship based on whether you're young, middle-aged, or or whether you're elderly and and you've been doing things a certain way for a longer period of time. You're going to find a difference um, depending on who you talk to, and not only here, but also if we're talking people here compared to someone in Africa or in Europe or in some other country. We talked last week about the relationship between duty and delight in the Lord. And I think if we were honest, our, our, our worship sometimes lacks a lot of joy. We're here. We're worshiping. We're in God's presence. But sometimes we don't engage our hearts like we should. And as we said last week, when worship is all about duty and not delight, it can easily turn into legalism or it can turn into half-hearted worship. A.W. Tozer said, Worship is the missing jewel of the church. I think one of the problems the church has is having a biblical understanding of what worship is all about. One Christian writer once said, We have become a generation of people who worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. I think there's some truth to that. When our worship grow stale. When you walk away from a worship service and say, wow, that was boring, it says something. Because you were just in the presence of God. So let's begin this morning by talking about the privilege of worship. Our psalm begins with this call in the opening verses. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. David's whole psalm was originally meant to be sung because God is so great and mighty and awesome. No one song could actually really describe who God is or describe our relationship with him. And that's why there are so many different songs. There's lots of old hymns, old songs that we cherish, that we love. But the psalm also calls us to sing a new song to the Lord. Why a new song? Because we can so easily become used to those old songs, and after a while, you're so familiar with them, you don't even think about it. You just sing the words. And so we need to sing new songs to the Lord that that continue to describe who our God is and and talks about how he continues to be at work in in the lives of his people today. We need a, a new song. And so we need to cherish both the new and the old and allow them to draw us into God's presence. The first mention in the Bible of singing to the Lord occurs when God was creating the world. Job 38.7. We read that at creation the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. There has been singing and shouting ever since the beginning of time. And there will be more singing at the end of the age. Just as the world was created 
in a symphony of joyful praise, so all creation is going to break into joy and to song again when Jesus returns. In the meantime, we are to continue to worship and sing our praise to God because our God is worthy. In verse 6, four attributes are, are personified as if they were attendants standing before the, the throne of God. Splendor and majesty, strength and glory. I know when we lived in, in um, New Mexico, the Zunis had a, a, a number of gods and. Uh, you could see those gods all the time, the, their depictions through the Kachina dolls. They, they seem to be in all the trading posts. One thing I found about those gods, they weren't very pretty. They really weren't. Some of them were really ugly. I know they've got a watermelon god, and he looks like a watermelon too, and, and on and on. But you know what the Bible says? Our God is majestic. Our God is beautiful. He's not gruesome or ugly. He's arrayed in splendor, clothed with majesty, armed with power and glory, and he's brighter than the sun. That's why when we get to heaven, we won't need any artificial light source, because we'll have the Lord. But not only is worship and singing our privilege as God's children, it's also something that is commanded. It's our privilege, but it's a command too. And that's my second point. We're commanded three times in the opening verses to sing a new song to the Lord. These are actually in the imperative, commanding us to worship and keep on worshiping God. Keep in mind the repetition of those opening uh, verses. Sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. Three times. Right away that should... For those of you who know your Bibles, that should remind you that, oh, when the, when the Bible rep- repeats itself, it's for a reason. It's trying to emphasize something to us. So it's like when Jesus went, truly, 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 I say unto you. Same idea. It's alerting us that this is important. Verses 7 and 8, three times we are called to ascribe or acknowledge the glory and strength of the Lord, giving him respect and honor his glory deserves. We even see this in God's command to say to the nations, verse 10, that the Lord reigns. The last part of of verse 8, I think gives us a practical way to ascribe or give glory to God. You know, when the psalm was written, people would bring their offerings to the temple. This would have been a thank offering. And, And it was a joy to be able to do this as an expression of your love, as as an expression of your thanks for how God is at work in your life, at work in your family. If you look up the word offering in a concordance, you'll find that it's listed some 689 times in the Bible. It's It's a big deal. It's an idea that we see flowing throughout Scripture. We're to ascribe and acknowledge the greatness and glory of the Lord by coming into his courts with praise, but also with an offering. I think there's at least three ways that we could do this. I'm sure there's more. Romans 12, 1, tells us to offer our bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Offering ourselves 
as an offering to the Lord. Second, when we adore God with songs and hymns, Hebrews 13.15 says that we are offering a sacrifice of praise. And thirdly, we also worship God with our finances, with our gifts and talents, with all that he's entrusted to us. We're called to tie this before the Lord. Malachi 3 teaches that when we hold back in our giving, we end up on robbing God what's rightfully his, and we miss out on the blessings that could be ours. Third, David points to the witness of our worship. Do you realize that there is a witness to our worship? That when those who don't know the Lord, they come here and they sit in a worship service, they're coming into God's presence. While they may not know how to worship yet, still by being in the presence of God's people, it's something that they're going to pick up on. They're going to learn. They're going to begin to understand. David says if we want to delight ourselves in the Lord and experience his joy, then we need to share this good news with others. We need to proclaim it. We need to testify to it. I mentioned at the beginning of, of this psalm that it, it's been called a missionary psalm um, from way back. And it's for a reason, because over and over and over in the psalm, it calls the nations, it calls, calls all people to come and worship, to acknowledge the greatness of God. Verse 1, sing to the Lord all the earth. 2, tell of his salvation each day. 3, declare his glory among the nations, his works to all people. 7, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. We have the honor, the opportunity to tell others the good news about Jesus. And they can see that too when they worship with us as we sing out our our praise with hopefully smiles on our faces, with joy in our hearts. Not just singing some song because you have to because that's a song that was picked, but It's an opportunity to worship our God. Part of David's delight and joy that day was the knowledge that God's salvation belonged not just to the Jews, but to all people, to all the world. David understood that God blessed Israel to be a blessing to the nations. And they were, because through them, the gospel spread to the ends of the the earth. God would provide salvation. What a thing to rejoice in. What a thing to to share with others. And when you have news that is this good, you don't want to keep it to yourself. But you want to share it with others so that they can rejoice with you. Remember one time we were traveling with the kids. They, They were younger at the time. We stayed at some hotel, and the next morning when we were having breakfast in the lobby of the the hotel, um, we met an old man who we found out was the one who rode the the famous racehorse secretariat. And he was just a little guy. He wasn't very big. He he was an old guy. Um, He must have been in his 70s, I think. Um, 80s? Okay, just forget it. He was older, okay? Don't... I'm not even going to go there. But anyways, it, it was a joy talking to this man as he talked about the race even. 
And before we left that day, we got a picture of the kids standing next to him, and they were all taller than he was because he was just a little guy. What do you think we did after we experienced that? We told others. I mean, it's kind of silly. It's not really that big of a deal, but still, it was kind of exciting for us. And so we told family, we told friends, we wanted to tell others what we had seen, what we had experienced. Isn't that how it should be? When we come into God's presence, as we experience his love, as we know his joy, you want to share it with others. You want to share that good news. You don't want to just keep it to yourself. Sometimes we do. We're almost embarrassed to share it with others. Why? It's the most awesome thing that has ever happened to us. That we're in relationship with God. That he loved us so much, he sent his one and only son, Jesus. How can you not rejoice over that? How can you not want to share it with others? Final imperative I want to look at in this psalm is found in in verses 10 through 13. David encourages all creation to worship God for his salvation. Last verses of the psalm, they're, they're interesting because twice David refers to God as judge. Why is that something to celebrate? God is judge? Especially sharing this good news with the world around us that God is judge, he's going to judge them someday. But it is good news. The word judge in verses 10 and 13 carries the idea that God sovereignly rules over the nations and will judge everyone with fairness and equity. People want to know that. They want to hear that. That our God is loving. That our God is fair. That That our God wants us to be saved. That's why he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And so that's good news to share with the world. God is coming as judge. He's going to judge fairly, but he's still going to come as judge. But yet we don't have to fear. Because the righteousness of God has come. That's the good news of the last verse. He will judge the world in righteousness. Through Jesus. Through his shed blood. Through his righteousness. He's going to judge the people in his faithfulness. This is the reason all of heaven rejoices. The heavens are glad. The earth rejoices. The sea and everything in it roars. The fields and everything in it exalt God. The trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. Their worship is an anticipation for what God will do in bringing salvation to the world. Don't forget when Adam sinned, Creation went out of kilter because of sin. But when the second Adam returns again, all creation will be delivered from their bondage. They're going to be set free from sin. Not only will we be set free, but creation around us. Romans 8, 20 says this, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, and will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Creation groans around us waiting for Jesus to come again. 
and set everything right. Take away the, the effects of sin once and for all. I love that imagery of all creation praising God. The trees of the forest shouting out their praise. The oceans. And if you've been a, and, and sat by an ocean, sometimes it's calm and peaceful, but sometimes if there's wind or the storm is coming, it, it roars. And all, the sea even roars its praise to God. What a beautiful image. Another psalm, the, the trees of the, of the fields, they clap their hands. I like that one too. You can just imagine those branches clapping together. It's just a fitting image of all creation coming before the Lord in thankfulness, in gratitude, in worship. Think of what it'll be like one day when Jesus returns. The roar we're going to hear as all creation, all God's people begin to worship and praise him. Oh, that's going to be incredible. I want to be there. I hope you want to be there too. To stand there before the Lord, not with fear, because you're wondering where you're going to spend eternity, wondering if you're good enough to be in heaven. No, we don't have to worry about that because Jesus was righteous. He was victorious. He conquered sin. And so when we stand there covered in the blood of Jesus, in his righteousness, that's something to celebrate. And it takes all fear away. But until that day, until Jesus returns again, how will you express your joy and delight in who God is and the salvation that he so graciously bestows upon us? Will you thank God by singing old and new songs to him? Will you celebrate the treasure you found in Jesus the same way people um, value and, and treasure rocks they find in the ground? You ever seen somebody find a big gold chunk that they dug out of the ground or some diamond? Oh, they celebrate. They jump up and down. Woo! Look at what we found. Is that how it is for you? That you found the pearl of great price, a treasure that nothing in this world compares to? Will you tell others the good news? Will you bring an offering of thanks before the Lord? David says in Psalm 37, 4, if you will delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desire of your heart. Can there be anything more wonderful than this? Than to have Jesus in your life, both now and for all eternity? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you, Lord, for who you are, We praise you, Lord, for your great love for us, that you don't treat us as our sins deserve, but show us grace and love and mercy. Thank you for your son, Jesus, for his righteousness that covers each one of us who know you and trust in you as our Lord and Savior. And we just pray, Lord, that our worship on Sunday will be the highlight of our week, May we come and prepare ourselves to enter into your presence. When we're here, may we be mindful of whose presence we're in. And may we give you our all.
May you be our heart's desire. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. Thank you for being present here, for calling us to be in relationship with you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.